Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Uh, it is such a joy and uh, a privilege to be worshiping the Lord with you this morning. Uh, my name is Ruben Moyana. I am one of the elders here at Cross Point. I am married uh, to the beautiful Edith Moyana. And we have two wonderful girls, Joy and Jada. And I'm so grateful uh, to God for the opportunity uh, to be preaching to you this morning. It is really a great privilege and an honor uh, to, be, to be doing that. And uh, I do not take it lightly. Uh, the Bible is the, is the very word of God to us, uh, so with uh, humility, uh, with reverence, uh, with our minds and our hearts centered on the God who has given us this word, I would like to encourage you to open your Bibles with me to 1 John chapter 3, uh, 1 John chapter 3, uh, and as you uh, turn there, let me begin by saying that uh, for those of you uh, that are not regularly uh, here with us, uh, at Cross Point, it is our, our habit uh, at this church to preach through the books of the Bible, uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, what's called expository preaching. And uh, we've been walking together as a church through the book of John, uh, which is a gospel account of the life and the ministry of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our senior pastor, Brad, uh, who's here in the front here, has been doing such a wonderful uh, job. He's been so faithful to walk us through this book, and I praise God uh, for that. Today, however, we're going to take a break and uh, look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. I know this is not something we do regularly here. Uh, I was going to preach on two verses, uh, but as I wrestled with God in my study, uh, I was confined to one verse. Uh, so here we are. Uh, the book of 1 John is an epistle or a letter uh, it is uh, near the end of your Bible, so four books before you get to uh, the book of Revelation. Uh, that's where the book is. Uh, the Apostle Paul uh, writes this letter uh, to the early Christian believers. Uh, his purpose uh, is to establish, uh, to encourage, to strengthen their faith. Uh, the reality of the matter is that there were discouragements in the early church, uh, just as we have discouragements uh, in our day. And the early church had to contend with false teachers from both among themselves and also from the outside. In fact, he says in chapter 2, there in verse 26, he says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. So deception was, was present in their day, just like deception is present in our day. And so John wrote this letter to remind them, essentially, of the truth and to remind them who they were. And most importantly, to remind them whose they were. He wrote to them so that they would be confident in what they believe and who they were. And in this particular verse, he reminds them that they are the children of God. And so this is the same thing I want us to look at this morning. And this is the same reminder that I want us to look at this morning. Uh, for those that are trusting in Jesus Christ, that we are the children uh, of God. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are, uh, we are so grateful that you have given us the, the privilege to open up your word this morning. God, we pray that you would help us to, to realize the the seriousness and the gravity 
of what we are doing here this morning, God. We are hearing from, from you through your word, by your spirit. And God, I pray that you would give us, give us wisdom, uh, give us insight to understand your scriptures. We pray that your Holy Spirit would enlighten us, teach us, lead us, guide us, and help us to glorify you, God, I pray. And God, give us a, give us a gladness. G give us a joy as we study your word this morning. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So for those of you that do not know me, I uh, grew up in Zimbabwe, a country in southern Africa. I came to America when I was 17 years old. As a young child, when I was in the fourth grade, like everyone else in my class, I was terrified. I was terrified of my teacher. Um, <laughs> you know, the teachers in Africa have more authority and they do things that teachers in America don't. Um, and this particular man was a very cruel man uh, whose method of teaching uh, was one of intimidation, uh, one of fear, and, and literally painful, humiliating canings. I mean, he would carry a, a, a cane, and uh, that's, how he, that's how he taught his class. Uh, and on one particular occasion, this teacher, uh, he walked up to me, uh, and out of all things, he asked me what was 9 times 33 to a fourth grader. 9 times 33. What is 9 times 33? Tafazwa. That was, that's my, my middle name, my African name. And before I could calculate in my head, uh, the back of his hand painfully landed on the side of my face. So being the mama's boy I was, uh, I, wa I went home and I told my mama, say, Mom, I, I am going to retire. I'm, I'm retiring. <laughs> I don't want to be a student anymore. I'll never go to school again, never. And I'll never forget her response. She, she's so tenderly, like mothers do, uh, say to me, my son, I'm really sorry to hear that uh, you are... Uh, you're having a tough time at school. And then she said, uh, you know, you should have really told us sooner that you're having this problem with this teacher. And then I'll never forget what she said to me. She said, son, are you forgetting who your father is? Your father is the deputy headmaster at your school. He's literally your, your boss's teacher. And one conversation between your dad and this teacher can change everything. And then she kind of pointed at me and she said, don't forget who your father is. So sure enough, you know, my, my dad spoke to this teacher and he never touched me or even raised his voice to me ever again. <laughs> now, I realize this is a very simple and maybe even silly example, but isn't that like us? Are we not prone to forget who our heavenly father is? We are assaulted by the troubles and the trials and the sorrows of this world. And oh, how easy it is for us to forget who our Heavenly Father is. And just like I was as a kid, it is so easy. It is so easy for us to forget. So believers, we are the children of God. And that phrase by itself carries a lot of weight and it carries a lot of significance. So I would like to deal with this theme, uh, the children of God. And this is my method. Pretty much what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask, a, ask a four questions uh, as we deal with this text. Uh, but before that, a little bit uh, background information again. So, so the book of 1 John uh, is the first in the, and, and pretty much the largest in a series of three epistles uh, or letters that are written by John. John is also the same one who wrote the book that we've been studying here as a, as a church, which is a gospel account. And uh, he also wrote the book of Revelation. The letter First John was written, uh, if you ever get a chance, just sit down and read this book. For, it does not take a long time at all just to read this book. It's, it's a sweet book. 
And uh, as you read it, though, you'll notice that it was written with such an unmistakable sense of authority. Uh, in fact, uh, what we know about John, we know that John was the brother of another disciple, James, and together they were known as the sons of Zebedee. And in Mark chapter 3, verse 17, we learn that Jesus uh, gave them the name the sons of thunder. So when we read the New Testament, we realize that John was one of the three most intimate associates of Jesus. Uh, him alongside with Peter and, and James. In fact, uh, John had been an eyewitness to the ministry of Jesus. He had participated in Jesus' ministry. Uh, he was there when Jesus died. I don't know if you remember the time when he dies and uh, Jesus says, behold. He says pretty much to John and talking to Mary, commending Mary to John, uh, be, behold. Uh, your, your son. And uh, pretty much uh, we know for sure, for certain, that Jesus had, had a significant influence on this man. So it is important then that we listen to what God has to say through his word. So again, uh, here's my approach. Question number one. How do we become the children of God? How do we become the children of God? And uh, firstly, we become the children of God. Obviously, we talk about the gospel here through the time, all the time. We become God's children through faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, we become God's children by believing the gospel. And you may be here, you, you say, what's the gospel? The gospel is this reality that even though we're sinners, God has been so gracious and so merciful to send his son, Jesus, to save us from our sin. Jesus lived a, a sinless life that we could not live. Yet on the cross, Jesus died a death that we deserve to die. He bore the wrath of God that should have been ours to bear. Yet he rose from the grave. He defeated sin. He defeated death so that whoever would believe in him would turn away from his sins and would trust in him and would be forgiven and ultimately reconciled to God. And the righteousness of Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus is credited to our account. And instead of us being the enemies of God, we become the children of God. So the term children of God, when, we, when you talk about children of God, we have to be careful. You need to remember that it, it is not a universal phrase that applies to every, everybody. But it refers specifically uh, to those who are trusting in Jesus Christ, you know, for their salvation. Uh, I think my mic just went off. Did, did you hear me? Can you hear me still? Okay. Yeah, the Bible uses different imagery. Uh, to describe the people of God. And here, the apostle John gives us a wonderful biblical image of our true identity as the children of God. It is a miracle, and it is a privilege that is really reserved only for those who have received, that is those who have believed in Jesus Christ. And there's, there's no better privilege and there's no better right in the whole wide world than that we are the children of God. So we become the children of God through, through faith in Christ. And then number two, we become God's children by the new birth. We become God's children by the new birth. And this is the doctrine of regeneration. If you look in your Bibles there in uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse uh, 9 and 10, I want you to pay attention. Pay, pay, pay attention to the language of being born, okay? So it says in verse 9, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, 
nor is the one who does not love his brother. And then when you go to chapter 5, chapter 5 in verse in, in first John there, it says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. And then the book of John that we are studying together as a, as a church, if you go to John chapter 1, verse 12, it's probably going to be on the screen here. Uh, it says, uh, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of men, but of God. So I talk about regeneration. So, so what is regeneration? Uh, John Frame, uh, a well-known theologian, summarizes uh, in his systematic theology. I, I came across this uh, summary, and I thought that was very on point. Uh, he says uh, regeneration is a sovereign act of God beginning a new spiritual life in us. So it is an act of God. So in other words, when God calls us into fellowship with Christ, he gives us new life. And he gives us a new heart. And he gives us a new nature. Another way to put it is uh, what we see in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Pretty much re reminding us that we also become new creatures. It says, therefore... If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So just like conception and birth brings new physical life, God's work of regeneration brings new spiritual life. In other words, through the new birth, we gain a new nature, new desires, and new ability even to serve God. And remember that regeneration is really something that is a subjective blessing that happens to us subjectively. In fact, the Bible teaches us that apart from, apart from God's grace, we are spiritually dead. And it is God alone who gives us this new life. So we become God's children through faith in Christ, by the new birth, by regeneration, after God has called us to himself. And then, number three, we become God's children by adoption. By adoption. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So we are adopted, and God, he gives us the status, he gives us the privilege he gives us the benefits, and he gives us the responsibility to be part of his family. Which takes us to number four. We become God's children by the Spirit. We become God's children by the Spirit. So Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were born under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you're sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So the spirit, the spirit is the difference between those who are the children of God and those who are not. It is quite possible for people to be religious or even be morally acceptable or even have seminary degrees and not have the Spirit of God. 
And truth be told, if we do not have the Spirit of God, we are not the children of God. So the question is this. Have you been born again? Is the Spirit of God in your heart this morning? Have you been adopted into the family of God? We become God's children through faith in Christ, by the new birth, by adoption, by the Spirit, which takes us to the next question, question number two. How does God deal with his children? How does God deal with his children? You know, if you are a parent, uh, that's kind of, that, when I was thinking about this question, I was like, hmm, how, how does God deal with his, with his children? You know, like, if you're a parent, you can relate. We all deal with our children in, 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 in certain ways. And uh, number one, God really loves his children. We are the recipients of God's infinite, lavish love. What is known as the agape love, an unconditional love. It says there, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And if you've got the NIV translation, it says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. Now, this is the song uh, that we sing sometimes. Uh, I, I love the the words the, to the song that we sing sometimes that says, How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. God's love for us is really expressed in that he allows us, he allows us to become his children and he provided a way for that to happen through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Even though we have repeatedly rejected and even though we have repeatedly sinned against him. So see what great love. Psalm chapter 36 verse 7 shows us that his love is so precious. It says, How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. So is that how you see God's love towards you? As something so precious. So God deals with his children in that he loves his children. And then he deals with us, number two, in that God disciplines his children. We often don't like to hear the word discipline. But the reality of the matter is that it is a good thing for us. Truth be told, we need God's discipline. And Hebrews chapter 12 verse 5 says... And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved. For the Lord loves the one he loves. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. In other words, discipline is a sign of God's love. Verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respect them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, 
that we may share his holiness. For this, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So when we talk about the discipline of the Lord, it should not discourage us, but it should encourage us. Because this discipline is an expression of God's love towards us. And it is for our own good. And it shapes us to be more holy and to be more righteous and to be more like Christ. So Christian, child of God, don't despise the discipline of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 11 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he takes delight. Brothers and sisters, uh, let us take note as God's children that we will be disciplined if we go astray. God deals with his children in that he loves them and he disciplines them. And then number three, God deals with us in that he does not abandon his children. He does not abandon his children. Joshua chapter 1 verse 5 says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. And then listen to what he says to him. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. You know, as I was preparing this, I was thinking that this was going to be on Mother's Day. And I know that, uh, you know, us celebrating Mother's Day is, is, is a wonderful celebration for mothers. You know, we, we, we praise God for them. But I also know that this day can be very difficult for those that have been abandoned by a parent, either a mom or a dad, or even for those that have lost a parent or a mom. And if that's you, be encouraged that your heavenly father, if you're a Christian, will never, ever, ever abandon or forsake you. You know, before we had our children, we struggled with uh, infertility. So uh, I know what Mother's Day, how it can be difficult for some like it was for us. But listen, listen to these words. Listen to these words from the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians. He says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. So God deals with his children in that he loves them, he disciplines them, he does not abandon them, which takes us to question number three. What is expected of God's children? And this is not a question asking a legalistic question like, you know, you're supposed to act this way. But, but in other words, what we're trying to say is, what are, the, what are the results of regeneration? What can we expect from those who are truly born again? Or we can say, what is the evidence? What is the evidence of our salvation? Number one, you know, we've already seen that we are to love and respect God. Love and respect God. We are to have a holy reverence for our Heavenly Father. A holy, loving fear for God. Not a terror as we would feel towards a cruel teacher. But a reverent love, honor, respect for God. And then number two, God's children are expected to pursue a life 
of holiness and righteousness. Uh, we have already read from uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. Uh, let me go back there again. It says there, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning. Because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God. Who are the children of the devil. I mean, you see, you see the distinction there. By this, he says, he says, by this it is evident who are the children of God and the children of the devil. So we've got two categories there. Children of God and children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is the one who does not love his brother. Again, going back to 1 John, if you go to chapter 5, verse 18, it says, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Now, this does not mean that we are perfect in any way, but it means that when we are born again, when we are regenerated, we cannot feel comfortable being in a cycle of continuous, unrepented sin. For example, a person who may be in an adulterous relationship or fornication or fill in the blank, they are not able and they're, 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 not, they're not repentant. And there's no contrition and there's no sorrow for their sin. And yet they claim to be a Christian makes you wonder whether they truly know Christ. The Bible says no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Full stop. In Leviticus chapter 11 verse 45, it says, For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy for I, I am holy. J.C. Ryle has written, uh, he wrote a lot on, on holiness. And uh, in his book, Holiness, I saw this uh, few uh, words here. I thought it would make a good, good uh, uh, quote. He says, holiness is the habit of being one mind with God, according as we find him, his mind described in Scripture. It is the habit of agreeing in God's judgment, Hating what God hates, loving what he loves, and measuring everything in this world by the standard of his word. He who most certainly agrees with God, he is the most holy man. So do we measure everything in this world by the standards of God's word? Do we hate what God hates? Do we love the things that God loves? Take note that when we pursue holiness, it changes everything. It changes what we think about, and it changes how we act. You know, J.C. Ryle continues to say, A holy man will follow after meekness, long-suffering, gentleness, Patience, kind tempers, government of his tongue. He will bear much, forbear much, overlook much, and be slow to talk of standing on his rights. So maybe our problem today is that we are not pursuing holiness. So is pursuing holiness important? To us, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Do we long for that? Do we long for holiness? Do we long for righteousness? Do we pray for it? 
So again, God's children love and respect God, their Father. And they pursue a life of holiness and righteousness. And then number three, God's children love one another. God's children love one another. So 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever, love, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So in other words, it is really, really hard to believe that someone is truly born again or truly knows God if they don't have a love for others. Again, uh, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 1 to 2, it says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. So like in, a, in, a, in the local church, like if we are all God's children, we should be fostering that, that culture of love. So do we, do we show that love? Do we show that love to one another in the way we act towards one another? Do we show that love in how we speak to each other? In how we interact on social media? In how we speak about others even when they're not around? So again, as God's children, we expected to have a genuine godly love for one another. Uh, which takes us to number four. Uh, God's children are to imitate their heavenly father. God's children are to imitate their heavenly father. Uh, Paul writes to the Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 he says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. He says imitate God. You know, when, when I was studying this, I was thinking, I was like, you know, the natural tendency for us is to compare ourselves to other people, right? Like we compare ourselves to our neighbors, to our brothers, to our sisters. And, and, and God says in his word, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. I mean, I mean, the bar is high. I mean, it's really, really high. Matthew chapter 5 verse 48 says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Perfection, you know, that, that's a pretty high standard, isn't it? We are certainly not perfect. And the reality of the matter is that we are not going to be perfect in this world. But thank God that an imperfect child is still graciously considered a child. They are not kicked out of the family because they are not perfect. Uh, Luke chapter 6 verse 36 says, Be merciful even as your father is merciful. So, so let's look for opportunities to share our mer mercy. God's children imitate their father. And then number five, God's children are led by the Spirit. God's children are led by the Spirit. Uh, Romans chapter 8 verse 14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit, the spirit bears himself witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So, so as God's children, we are, we are expected you know, to, to love, respect God, pursue holiness and righteousness, to have this genuine love for each other and to imitate our Heavenly Father and, and really... We should be desperate to be led by the Spirit of God in everything that we do. And then number six, God's children are expected to tell other people about their Heavenly Father. They're expected to tell others about their Heavenly Father. Again, if you look in the text in the verse we are studying here, it says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. And then the second part says, the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. So the world does not know God and does not know God's children. And as God's children, 
We live in the world, but we are not of the world. In fact, the world misunderstands God's children. The world discredits God's children. The world ridicules and mocks. It ignores. It opposes the children of God. The world abuses the children of God. The world rejects. And in, in, in many, 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 many places around the world, the world persecutes the children of God. The world is alienated from God. It is separated from God. But God's love through Jesus Christ creates a people who are his children from that world. So this is why as God's children we need to share the gospel. We need to look for opportunities to share the gospel and tell them about our heavenly father. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Which takes us to question number four. What is to be the comfort of God's children? What is to be the comfort of God's children? The reality of the matter is that we live in a world of cancer. We live in a world of anxiety. In a world of depression and sickness. In a world of poverty and disappointments. In a world of pandemics. In a world of death. In a world of grief. And so it's, it's so easy, it's so easy for us to turn to other things to be comforted instead of turning to God himself. So what is to be the comfort for God's children in this broken world? Number one, we have seen that God's children, we've already seen that they're, they're loved by God. We sang about it before we started. I hope that comforts you as much as it comforts me, you know, that God loves us. That God loves you. That God loves me. And then number two, be comforted by the fact that God's children have a sure inheritance and they're eternally secure. They have a sure inheritance and their eternity is secure. Romans chapter 8 verse 16 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children... Then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. And then John, the gospel of John chapter 10, uh, verse 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I do know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one, no one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So not even the devil himself, not even the devil himself can snatch you out of his hands. God's children have a sure inheritance and they're eternally secure. And I hope, I hope, I hope that comforts you. I mean, think about it. What, what's the worst that could happen to you as a human being if your eternity is secure? And then number three, another comfort for God's children is that the needs for God's children are always supplied. The needs for God's children are always supplied. So God encourages he encourages us to ask if we have a need ask and he promises to give us what we need not necessarily what we want but what we need matthew chapter 7 verse 7 says ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and it will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts? Things to those who ask him. 
Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So, are you anxious? Are you nervous? Are you overwhelmed? Are you depressed? Are you ashamed? Are you disappointed? Are you afraid? Are you lonely? Are you unsettled about something? If you are a child of God, it is so, so possible that you may need that nudge to remind you who your heavenly father is. Dear friends, brothers and sisters, our heavenly father is very personal with his children. In an age of social distancing, remember that God is not distant. He is not distant. He is not unreachable. He is not unconcerned with the affairs of his children. If you are his child, you are relevant to him. You are relevant to him and he is interested in hearing what you have to say when you pray to him. So let us not forget who God is. And let us not forget his attributes. It's so easy. It's so easy. Just like a little fourth grader forgets who his dad is. It's so easy for us to forget who our father is and what his attributes are. What else comforts us as God's children? Number four, we are comforted by who God is. Our, our Heavenly Father is all-knowing. He is omniscient. He knows all things. He knows what is in the past. He knows what is present. He knows what is in the future. There is nothing that's hidden from Him. And, and when you feel like life is, fair, is, is, is not fair, remember that God is the great judge. He is, he's just. And He has the sovereignty and authority to execute His righteousness within His created order. And if you are concerned about the salvation of your family and friends, your heavenly Father is the Redeemer and Savior who is able to save us from sin and slavery and captivity. If you feel lost, He is the great shepherd who directs us and guides us and protects us and cares for us by His Word and by His Spirit. If you feel unloved like no one cares for you, our Heavenly Father is full of compassion. He loves us with a great love. And nothing, nothing can separate us from His love. He is a God of faithfulness. He is true to His name. He is true to His character. He is faithful to His promises. Now, if you are here today and you do not know God as a father, if you are not a child of God, I invite you to put your faith and your trust and your belief in Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So trust in him. And before I close, let me, let me just say my, the biggest attribute that encourages me as a, as a Christian is the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. 
God is sovereign. This means that he is free and able to do all that he wills. He reigns over all creation. And his will is the final cause of all things. Our Heavenly Father's sovereignty extends over all things. Over creation, over human life, over the smallest details of your life, over the biggest details of your life. He is sovereign in electing his chosen people. He is sovereign in the life and salvation of his people. He is sovereign over world history. He is sovereign over Satan and over demonic forces. He is sovereign even over our sufferings. So be confident that, that our Heavenly Father, the sovereign God, He is your Heavenly Father. Oh, see what kind of love. See what great love the Father has given us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. There is nothing more urgent. And there is nothing more, more urgent than to know with certainty that we are the children of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Father, for, for who you are. God, we pray that you would apply this word to our hearts. May we act a, according to how you convict us from your word. Help us, oh God, to see what a privilege, what a privilege it is to be called the children of God. And Father, for those who are not your children, those who have not trusted in you yet, God, I pray, I pray that you would awaken their dead hearts. Draw them to yourself. Give them the gift of new birth. Adopt them by your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.